Hey guys, it's me again. It's Jason, Whatsoever is True. Uh, don't forget to check out the blog. That's at Whatsoever is True. It's all one word. Dot com. It's over there and you will find all of my ridiculously overlong blogs, which come uh, fundamentally, they go into the Bible studies I'm teaching on Sundays at my local church. And I definitely encourage you guys, if you're not involved in a church, to get in one. It's very important for us to be not to be neglecting the gathering of ourselves and to be involved with a local body. Find a body that believes in the Lord and believes in his, his, his word and the word is supreme. You're not going to find a perfect church. If you did, you'd ruin it when you join. So, you know, don't fall and pray to the hyper-individualistic Western culture. And uh, so I don't, I don't want anybody bossing me around or whatever. Uh, you know, we'll get into that in another podcast. But in this case, Remember, be part of your local church and and you know, lovingly serve the Lord there. Pray for pray for other believers with other believers, and it, it is is what we're called to do. And it is a picture of of the age to come, in the kingdom of heaven. We're not called to be lone ranger Christians. Okay, so uh, if you can't find a church right now, continue to pray for one. Pray pray the Lord leads you in the right path, and He will answer that. You know, a lot of people are, are perplexed sometimes and a little bit dismayed because they think that the Lord is ignoring them and not answering their prayer. Uh, as James says, a lot of times it's because we're praying for the wrong things. He's not going to answer a prayer affirmatively for something that will hurt us. But trust me on this. If you're not in a good church, pray. It will lead you where you need to go. So um, let's talk about uh, 2 Timothy. I'm wrapping this up in, in the Bible study class that I'm teaching. And and this one this one is about Paul, the end of the, the, the uh, letter to Timothy, the second one. Paul's pretty much getting ready to die, and we know how this ends. He is executed. So there's a lot of heartbreak that pours out, and it pours out over the edges like it's just a cup of misery just being uh, too full and, and, and spilling out over the table. Paul's abandoned, and he neither hides the fact of his betrayals and loneliness, nor, and interestingly, does he revel in them. Because that's what self-pity and depression are, if we're not careful. They're reveling in ourselves as a victim. And we want to be careful. The biblical model here is that if you think you've been wronged, and, and you're going to have, you're going to be really hard pressed to be wrong like Paul was, or of course like the Lord was. No self pity. Don't spend a lot of time going over and rehashing everything bad that was done to you, or that you believe it was done to you. That's not. You're not a victim in Christ. We're more than conquerors. Romans eight. So uh, Paul was unfairly deserted by uh, Demas, and who used to be one of his closest associates. So. That's Colossians 4.14 he's mentioned there. and But he takes heart because he knows that he's also saved by faith, not works. Okay, so Demas abandoned him because he was in love with this, felt, this current world and probably just had enough of the persecution and all that was going on with the ministry. I mean, think about Judas leaving Jesus and betraying him. Is Judas apparently didn't like what the Lord was doing economically. He was the treasurer of the group. He probably saw a lot of what he what looks like insanity. If you're trying to build a movement, that's not the way you go about it. So Christians are always going to look odd to the rest of the world. That is much more practical about what they do with their money. So uh, that's probably what happened to Paul with with Demas. He just loves the world, and you know he probably went that route. So why is Paul not bitter? Well, because if he rests, and as we should, in the fact of our salvation by faith alone knowing that we're loved unfairly. As R.C. Sproul once said, I know I'm loved unfairly, so if I'm treated unfairly, it doesn't really 
you know, it doesn't really bother me. I might hurt badly, but it's not going to lead to bitterness. So, yeah, he's abandoned in his hour of need, as he points out. And he feels a horrible sing of this. He actually says, you know, everybody's gone except for Luke. And, you know, he's not saying, you know, hey, Luke's terrible. Send help. You know, he's just saying, everybody's gone. I mean, everybody abandoned him when times get hard. And it's a big thing in life is everybody talks about how they've got your back. They've got your back. But, you know, they talk about marriages and they, talk, they, they fight about sex and money. That's what the world fights about. You know, you, you, people think they're owed things. And, and, and that's, when, that's when selfishness is really on display. It's like the boxer who's undefeated and all of a sudden he really gets hit hard. What does he do? How does he respond to challenge? So in apparently Paul's case, everybody didn't respond well. Luke did, but everybody else abandoned him. No one came to defend him and he's alone. So he, they jumped ship like a bunch of cowards. All right, the same thing happened to Jesus in the garden. So there's a hard truth we need to see here if we're going to look at this passage properly. Ready? So you're sitting down? <laughs> uh, that's us. We are, we are the cowards. None of us are going to stay faithful if we're outside the Lord. It simply doesn't matter how honorable we think we are. Spiritual pride causes us to drop our hands. It's, we expose our chin. Use more boxing metaphors here. Uh, so many trials come to us in Christian life because we're blind to our self-reliance and the Lord must and he will and must break us of that habit. Sin will sift us like wheat. That's Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Remember, at the time, he says that to who? Peter. And Peter was, if I may, he was chest-thumping spiritual showboat. Think, think of what he says in Luke 22, verses 33 and 34. I mean, pride is a serious problem. Self-entitlement self and uh, boasting and thinking that, that we're good. We're, we're one of the stars on God's team. That's, that's spiritual pride. And... David had songs sung about all of his victories, right? I mean, he killed his tens of thousands. I mean, that's awesome. Can you imagine that? As a, as a dude, I got to tell you, that, that's pretty cool. If I was walking around and everybody's singing songs about how awesome I am, I'm like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> what happened to him? Right? What happened to Samson? Do you, you think you're stronger than Samson? <laughs> right? If, if, if the Old Testament was, was the, uh, an Avengers movie, Samson's Captain Israel. I mean, the, the, that, he was a bad man, if they would say. What happened, though? He was very successful outwardly, and that led to indulgences. Pride, self-reliance are deadly. So we take heed when, when we catch ourselves boasting. If you catch yourself boasting about how great your character is and how great your honor is, you take heed lest you fall. That's 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. That's pride. Guys, that's a huge problem. I've been there myself, and I catch myself doing it to this day. You know, I was... Uh, just just not too long ago, I was, I believe, unfairly maligned by some people who trying to, you know, make it make their happiness my responsibility. And uh, you know, I was like, oh, that's not really fair, and the whole bit. And it's very easy to fall into a pattern of self justification. And whenever you're doing that, self glorification is not too far on your heels, on its heels, and and self pity and all of that, not good. So none of us is going to stand in a storm unless we stand firm in faith. That's Isaiah seven nine. Paul's pain relating to what happened to him there uh, is, is, is strong. I mean, his, the Greek word for, you know, he deserted me, is it literally utterly abandoned him. Demas was a close personal associate. He obviously had a very, very important role in, his, in, in Paul's ministry, and, and he's gone. And that's going to blow a hole in Paul's heart, going to blow a hole in his, in, his, in his work. It's dreadful. 
he's a brother in arms, so to speak. And he's gone off after the safety of the world. And again, that usually means economics and so forth. He wants, you know, certain guarantees and, and he doesn't like the persecution and, and, and the ups and downs and the tumult of, of the ministry. And he's blaming, probably blaming Paul for it. Maybe utterly abandoned means there was a deep personal issue going on. So, you know, there he goes to Thessalonica and he considers it a safe city due to its relative wealth, right, and its independence at the time. You can look, in, look, look that up. I'm not going to get into it here, but, you know. Um, and here's the point. I mean, Demas evidently didn't cost the count of his discipleship. Uh, and we need to do that. The valley forge of our faith is going to come. Everyone's going to be there in the cold. And the sunshine patriot and the sunshine Christian, uh, that's not what we're called for. It comes for us all. We're going to be at some point through some challenge. We're going to be shivering and hungry in a spiritual winter where we don't have a guarantee of tomorrow. Right? It's very easy for me to sit back and if you ask me how I'm doing, I go, I'm pretty good. That generally means, unfortunately, I have to admit this, that my bank account's okay and my refrigerator's full. Right? I mean, we're that weak. We are that weak. But be warned. Right? I mean, it's the thing. We, we rely on Christ. That's why we give thanks for meals and, and the little things. A, the opposite of pride is a thankful Christian. That's why giving thanks is so important because it reminds us in, in, in increasingly more and more how dependent we are upon him. Not just for our, our daily bread and whatever, but our salvation alone. So we don't think it's because we're a little bit better than those other rooms that aren't Christian. Okay, uh, for a number of years ago, my son was very young. We are sitting down for a lunch of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I'm a, obviously a, a, an amazing provider. <laughs> you know, I'm going to make some sandwiches. So we're making the sandwiches. We say thanks. I looked at my son, and he's a young guy at the time. And I said, you feel weird? Does it feel weird to give thanks for something like a sandwich? And he went, after a little bit, you know, he's a little reticent. He's like, yeah, I, I guess I do. And I and, and, and I wanted to address that to him and to his heart. Listen, if the Lord lets us go, we're dead. I mean, we have no idea how bad life can get. That's one of the reasons we think there's a problem of suffering and a problem of evil, we, because we don't really think of the problem of blessings. We're not getting what we deserve. If we got what we deserved, right now, you and I would be in hell. So that Valley Forge is coming because it's teaching us to not rely on ourselves, but to rely on him. So many of the, left, the left's arguments for government intervention is because they don't want challenge and they don't want worry about their future. So instead of going to Christ in that, they turn to the state. One of the signs of lack of faith is the demand that you have this, this, and this. Um, a life of faith is, is always going to be a, a little bit stressful. But remember, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. There's always going to be a yoke. There's always going to be a burden. The question is, you know, in this case, uh, I, and I, think, I think it was Luther. It was, maybe it was Calvin. I'm mixing this up. But forgive me if I'm wrong. That uh, The human being is like a horse. And it's ridden either by Satan or by Christ. So Christ, Christ is going to bring us into those valleys of a shadow of death. But take heart because that's poetic language. When you're in, a, in this valley... In the shadow, the dark clouds of depression, of fear, anxiety, trust him. He will lead you through. Follow him. Don't sin. Okay? Don't go out and try to solve your problem through manipulation and so forth. Wait wait on him. All right? There's a, hardly a person alive that you're going to meet that's going to say, and this would be honest. Hi, you know, I'm John. I'm a very nice guy so long as I get my way and I'm comfortable. <laughs> but the minute 
you know, right now I'm easy going, but the minute something's not going my way, man, I'm going to, I'm going to start talking bad about you if that's the power I have, or I'm going to manipulate you if that's the power I have, or, you know, why do you think we have lawyers on every, under every nook and cranny? Because we are a covetous people and covetous people are self-worshipping people who don't really have God's powers. They want God's blessings. They don't want God. And that leads us into conflict. So it's just this goes back to the previous point. Unless we stand firm in faith and really know who we are in Christ, that we're all, we don't know the path to peace. The way of peace they have not known. Right? That's us. We're utterly dependent on Christ. We're ready to suffer for him. That's got to be who we become. And that oftentimes doesn't happen unless we suffer. So one imagines that, you know, Demas, and as well as Alexander the coppersmith, you know, um, had much, many bad things to say about Paul's ministry. All right, Alexander was probably an idol maker. That's Acts 19, verse 24. That's probably him. And Paul's message of salvation in Christ alone, through faith alone, likely was opposed by Alexander for financial reasons, right? It's hard to make money on idols if, if there's no idols. So when Paul says he did me much harm, right, probably by spreading lies, gossip, false doctrine, trying to advance himself. Did Demas abandon Paul because uh, the lies Alexander and others weakened his resolve? I mean, it's possible, likely, in fact. But notice, Paul doesn't cry for vengeance, despite the maltreatment. He remembers the Lord unfairly accused. He remembers Jesus Christ beaten. He remembers him crucified. He remembers that happened for him. The only reason Paul has the privilege of being so shabbily treated is because Christ forgave him. And so he says, quote, Paul says, the Lord will repay him. He will repay Alexander the coppersmith. That's pretty, that's as strong as the language gets. Vengeance is never man's, but God's. This is written for us to show how we're to react whenever we think we're mistreated. Paul does not revile because he knows that he's a sinner as well, and he's not fit to judge another man ultimately. So he leaves it to the Lord. And the interesting thing is that he asked for Mark, by the way, in the passage of, of, uh, of 2 Timothy 2 here, that we're going, or uh, verse 4, I'm sorry, not verse 4, chapter 4. Um, he says, uh, bring, me, bring me Mark, right? Well, Mark probably lived somewhere along the route from Ephesus to Rome. And though, so, so obviously Paul is in Rome and uh, he's asking for, for Mark, who's the author of the Gospel of Mark. He's sometimes called John Mark. And uh, this is the guy that, that Paul kicked out of his ministry back in Acts 13. And uh, Acts 15, 36 through 39. In fact, it was such a uh, tempestuous split that he and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, separate, sep went separate ways. And uh, you can cue your favorite journey joke about uh, separate ways, the song. Sorry, classic 80s rock on my mind. Um, anyway, this actually is instructive to us because Mark is now apparently recovered from this. He's grown. So there... The, we should pray for people. That's why we don't ultimately judge people. We should say this is this is sinful behavior or poor behavior or or unproductive behavior and so forth. And we're correcting, we're extolling, we're rebuking, but all in the name of Christ, because Christ makes people stand, including us. All right. So um, apparently Mark has matured and he wants him back. Isn't that wonderful? Remember, the Lord can make His servants stand. That's Romans fourteen verse four. Um, so remember here, this is important. Uh, when Christ prays, Father, forgive them, for they, they don't know what they're doing. And it may not be counted against them. Now, that's the heart and soul of the gospel. There is no sin. There's no betrayal, no failure, and no rejection over which grace can't be poured. Paul remembers Saul on Damascus Road. 
He remembers the grace that saved a murdering persecutor of the Lord's church. I mean, imagine that. You listen to me and you think about this. You're given, you personally are given a free room in the Lord's house or free house in the Lord's kingdom, if you will. How could you ever try to bolt shut another room or another house for anyone else when you shouldn't be there either? How could we do that? Paul surely knew well the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, verses 11 through 32, right? He wisely understands that the older brother was on dangerous ground in that parable. His pride, the older brother, turned him into a judge rather than a fellow beggar in need of mercy, right? I mean, think about this. We're all living in the Lord's kingdom. Are you going to gripe about your, your neighbor's grass being too long? You shouldn't be there. I shouldn't be there. Stop with the judgment. We're going to hurt each other. We're, we're, we're fallen people. And it's a fact because it's happening in the, in, in the scripture. And, and the judgment we use will be used against us. So uh, that's clearly the Lord implores us. Hey, be, don't judge the, other, the Lord's servants. Right? As Peter says when he's walking away after the Lord restores him in the beach three times. Right? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? So he restores him publicly after Peter denied him publicly. The Lord doesn't take offense. Can you imagine being betrayed like that? The Lord doesn't take offense at what Peter did to him. Peter denied him on the worst, worst night of his life. He was going to his execution. But then Jesus goes out of his way, makes breakfast for him, serves him, and restores him. And then what does Peter do? Not, not very long after that, they're walking along. He goes, yeah, okay, well, what about him? In other words, he turns back to look at John. And Jesus says, What? He doesn't say, you ungrateful pinhead, you, I did all this for you. He doesn't itemize everything he did for him. Isn't that, isn't that fantastic? That's what we would do. He says, no, what is it to you? What, if, what is it if he's here until I come back? You follow me. So that's what the older brother does in the, in the parable of the prodigal son. He's worried about, he's worried about his brother. He's, he's not thinking about how before the Lord, he's a beggar. So he starts nitpicking everybody else. That's the problem. That's what we don't see in this passage of 2 Timothy chapter 4. So remember, here's the thing of, of Luke chapter 15, verses 28 through 32. But he was angry and refused to go in. So his brother is his younger brother is being celebrated. The prodigal has returned, and, and he, he's angry. So his father came out and entreated him. Now again, always God comes to us. We don't go to him. We're not seeking him. He says to him, look, these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed your command. Right? That's what, he, that's what he answers his father. Look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command. See the spiritual pride here? And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. You didn't give me anything. That's what sin does. Sin, sin makes us all Cain. Sin makes us envious of, of, of Abel. We are unfaithful cowards, betrayers, and murderers outside of Christ. Can you explain, can you, can you look in the mirror and tell yourself that? If you can, you are not understanding what's really happened in Christ. And you're probably a pain to get along with. <laughs> no, I've been there. I've been there. I'm an expert on why I'm awesome and other people owe me stuff. That's my default setting. That's why we need to reckon with this. We need to consider it. I said, but he said, but you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours come, came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. 
It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. What a glorious thing, guys. What a glorious thing. That's us. And so the older brother, if you're the older brother, you need to, you need to think about this. Paul right there is the older brother. Yeah, everyone's abandoned me. Alexander the coppersmith's done me much harm. But he's not, he's not saying, oh, the Lord better get rid of that guy. That guy's clearly going to hell. I can't, you know, he's going to be in hell and it's good for him. No, no. And he says, what, is, what does he do? Instead, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Right? And he says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. And then what does he say? May it not be charged against him. Even against people who abandon him, Paul is, is in, he's, he's, he's loving. He doesn't want anybody to perish. That is the heart of Christ. The heart of Christ, as Mike Tyson said, I think perfectly, that everyone has a plan to get punched in the mouth. The, the heart of the Christian is exposed when we're wronged. We could say we're Christ-like all the time. That's the goal, right? To be Christ-like, to be conformed to the image of his son, Romans 8. Conformed to the image of his son. Well, what does that look like? That's what it looks like right there. Paul saying, may it not be charged against him. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, Paul goes on, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Paul's primary focus is the gospel of Jesus Christ, not his personal health, not his personal well-being, not his personal stature, and not everyone's opinion of him. He's concerned with the gospel so that people might be saved. Ah, oh, what a glorious thing. How instructive. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth, he goes on. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 10 through 18 right there. Right? Wow. He's so enamored. He's so grateful with, to the Lord. He's so in awe of the Lord that even in, 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 in giving you a little a snippet of the pain that's in his heart for the betrayals and the, and, and, the, and the frustrations, he ends with the glory forever and ever. He, he, doxology breaks out everywhere Paul goes. Paul never gets over being saved. And I don't think we should either. That's how we deal with these things, right? But Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me, utterly abandoned me, right? Unbelievable. Uh, Titus has gone to, to, to Dalmatia. Um, right, guess where he's probably breeding dogs. <laughs> Terrible joke, I apologize. Uh, I don't know, I guess it probably is where they get donations from. Anyway, anywho, but the real goal here is for us to be Christ-like. And to be Christ-like, we are going to have to understand that when we're abandoned and betrayed, when we suffer, are we loving? Do we really see the gospel as the, the, the thing that, that's needed for everybody and pray for them that they be converted, they be saved? Um, so I do hope this helps. And as always, this is why it's so important for us to actually know Scripture. Because if not, we're not going to be interested in God's glory as Paul was. We'll be interested in our own glory. And when we're hurt and we're, we're let down, we're going to have a lot of trouble with it. If, if It's impossible. Unless we stand firm in faith, we won't stand firm at all. Because we're the ones who betrayed Christ. And it's just going back to the, to the story of the guy that, that uh, owes, owes a, a, a great man more money than he can ever imagine, like a trillion dollars. And the guy lets him off the hook, says, okay, your debt's forgiven. But then that guy goes out and has somebody thrown in jail for owing him a hundred bucks. You know, that's what we're like. Now, calling people to account is, is one thing, but we have to do it in Christ. Okay, we're not to hold grudges. We're not to say bitter. 
and uh, we're not to be looking at our rights as a final standard of life. That's why, you know, Joel Osteen has a book, Your Best Life Now, and, and I've heard, I forget who said it, but if your best life is now, that means you're going to hell. No, we want a blessed life. We want to live in the will of the Lord, and we can't do that unless we live according to the scripture and, and the principles of the gospel. All right, so anyway, hope all of this helped. As always, it's just a, a pleasure to be speaking about the word and speaking about the Lord, and I do really hope this was edifying. I know this is a tough subject for me. Uh, I am definitely not a black belt. I I think I'm a white belt out there uh, trying to get my form down and, and uh, doing everything wrong when it comes down to uh, when I get when I get maligned or when I get frustrated. Uh, you know, again, I, I could get I can I could get hot under the collar because traffic's bad. So we're all there. I mean, we will not stand unless we're in faith. And, and, and that comes to a constant reminder of who we are in Christ. And I think the best way to help that helps me and I, I hope it helps you is to continue to give thanks to him for every little thing. You get a sip of coffee in your mind. You're thinking, this is awesome, Lord. Thank you. Uh, your air conditioning's working, right? The lights are on. The refrigerator's cold. That kind of, those are small things, I know. But the more we really meditate upon the word of the Lord and all the wonderful mercies we have around us, the, the better off we're going to be. And, and, uh, and let the Lord deal with all of these things. Let the Lord secure a future, not try and do those things ourselves. Okay, not manipulate other people to get our way, but to wait on the Lord and serve other people to the glory of God. All right, catch you guys next time.